Welcome to your sophomore year at the Tragedy Academy, where you are the teacher and we are the students. Together, we learn from past tragedy to lay the foundation for a better humanity. The only supplies you'll need an open mind and a sense of humor. So, tilt that chair back, talk out of turn, and never raise your hand. Because this is the Tragedy Academy and class in session. I'm Pure Scott. Solo in front of the camera. It just doesn't work anymore. I'm all self-conscious. Hey, welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and today we are here with actress and screenwriter Christine Twyman. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm really good. Cold in LA. It's great to have you here. What's up? I said I'm cold in LA, which is kind of a pain in the ass. But other than that, I'm good. <laughs> it's chilly. Cold in LA? Yeah, it's been chilly the past few days, and it's and by chilly I mean like not 80 degrees. So no one has time for that. Okay, wait a minute. But uh, but where are you from originally? Are you from LA? No, I'm from Philadelphia, and I I feel shame saying this, but like after <laughs> like almost four years now in LA, so three and a half, four years, um, like my skin just can't do it <laughs> it's like why is it not <laughs> oh so the skin it's not necessarily the cold itself it's more the effects of the cold it's more just like the fact that it's i think it's just general indignance <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> <laughs> you you're protesting the uh the temperature i get it i i i uh i spent a, a stint of time in upstate new york when i was in the army and it was a land of the frozen chosen um, I have no desire to walk around in the slop and I hate my hands being dry, frozen and cracked. There's nothing worse. And that happens every time. So I feel your pain. <laughs> I don't want it either. You I have no desire for that temperature. I'll be honest though. I actually love the snow. I love the cold. I actually hate being hot, but there's something about just the indignance of it not being what I expected it to be when I walked out side in like Los Angeles. I'm in short sleeves today and then it's like kind of chilly and I need a light jacket and I'm like do not make me go back in this house how this dare you jacket. earth more of that <laughs> yeah I'm like what is this how <laughs> dare you reality and all things that are created <laughs> go against my outfit today no it's very frustrating like yeah, that's that's a tough act to uh to bend to I feel bad for earth you should <laughs> Well, I mean, if unless you're the only one, then I guess you know it's a it, that's an easy deal. No, I'm not the no. only one. Yeah, none of us are. <laughs> so when um, when we uh, first spoke to you about coming on the show, you had brought up um, some really cool things, and you know the the show is created to bridge societal divides in a judgment free zone. We talk about anything and everything um, regarding the human experience. And with that, there is good and bad. And um, you can also highlight what's good within the bad. Um, and that being said, one of the things that you had come on to discuss was advocating for trauma intervention um, via art. Uh, can you explain that? Um, yeah, I can. I think that like, collectively in society, there are a number of issues that kind of get in the way of people receiving trauma intervention, or um, honestly, there are like a number of issues that get in the way of people even, I don't know, having the opportunity to not be traumatized from the jump. Um, and honestly, it's a lot of people really not understanding each other's points of view. And I know for me as a filmmaker, it took me a long time to get to this, but as someone who, who gets to write and gets to act and gets to literally constantly empathize with other people's points of view and then put that on the screen so that other people can see those points of view. Um, like, I think that there's just something that I found with art. It had, there's like a certain through line where it's like, for some people, for some, for some reason, everyone seems to connect to art in some way. And it seems to create this sort of like dissonance that allows people to see one another's points of view and see one another's perspectives in a way that for some reason, like interpersonal interaction just doesn't. There's so much offense that comes with interpersonal interaction. There's so much defensiveness but when it's not you having the conversation directly with someone else when it's you watching the conversation on the screen when it's you seeing it in an art piece and you know at a gallery it's 
when you it, when it's music, it's just something so different. And honestly, art has done that for a very, very, very long time now. It's kind of bridged that gap. It's like one of the oldest, I guess, sort of professions. If you really look I, at, I would, I stuff. would say it's uh, more of the foundational glue for keeping us together, despite ourselves. Yeah, honestly. It um I, I love I love how you described all of that and I can't um I can't agree more. Um I think that uh, we misunderstand art as a whole and that it's not something that we're looking at, but more that we're sharing an experience of somebody else's mind. Um art to me is the ultimate expression of authenticity. And I think that when you are expressing yourself in that manner through whatever art that you are not wanting to do for any other reason than needing to do it. And I think when you create from that space, whether it's tortured or it's celebratory or whatever it might be, it is the only true you. And that is why other people are drawn to you because they are getting an uninhibited view outside of the mind of how that person actually feels. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a good, it's a really good way to put it. Especially, I think, especially when you look at like very particularly what I get to do with film, um, because it is a weird medium to create in like, like it's a weird space to create within because it's probably one of the few artistic spaces where um, business and politics interject and they're all over the space. And um, it, it's really, it's like damn near impossible to separate them, especially when you get into the film industry. But in theater, it's a little bit different, especially now because of sadly the, the defunding of theater in a lot of ways, but it has allowed that space to kind of go back to being a more creative place. Um, film is a weird space with a weird sort of trajectory that started off very much for people to just experiment and have fun. It started off oddly. We don't see it now, but started off with a lot of people who, um, a lot of women, a lot of people of color really began a lot of the film industry. And then, um, and then the film industry started making money and then it was purchased basically. And then businesses began to run it. Um, and so it's a really weird space in which you don't always get artists who actually want to do the art or or share the message, you get a lot of artists who are attracted to the industry for a lot of sort of more narcissistic <laughs> reasons. Let's be honest. Um, they won't succeed. I don't know, man. It's debatable. It's well, it, it, let me let me rephrase that. Um, depending on your definition of success, because you'll be hollow standing at the top. Yeah. You will not be satisfied if you went there for the wrong reason. That person's not happy. That's why they keep going and doing the same thing over and over again <laughs> because they're insane. Yeah. Um, it, it really is. I, I have a question. Yeah. You brought up that being a screenwriter and filmmaker, you understand the human experience from a different position now. And um, one of the things that I had um, read not long back was that uh, everybody should take a turn at becoming a method actor for the reason that it allows them to actually empathize with someone to a degree where with they can see through their eyes. And once you do it enough times through somebody else's eyes, you end up figuring out that you don't have the key, right? And that, that you you can, it's actually different than what you thought it was. Um, that said, so I, I admire that you were able to even make that connection. Um, most people don't realize that. Um, that said, you said that business and art are coming together. And I feel like as a, as a creator and as an artist, is it difficult when you have somebody in there with the intent for money um, working within your safe space? Because our art is our safe space. It's, it's a good question. This is, um, I, I guess actually for, for me, the intent for like money doesn't bother me too much as long as you give me what I need to get what I'm supposed to do done. Like you have those intentions. Cool. I think where, where it becomes more problematic is 
when we get to like the production aspect of it and what like what art gets funded um what perspectives get seen um like as far as like being like an actor in a room for example um or even like a screenwriter in a room like that tends to be like that smaller space tends to be a little bit better for the artistic process but like just the general like idea of like who is allowed to take up space in this industry um because it is an industry uh we get to we see a lot of problems behind like who funds it who gets funded whose art gets put out there um and and like it's definitely been a conversation i think a lot more lately about like since a lot of things like like the me too movement and and just so many like and and especially since probably a lot of last year with black lives matter movement and just everything that kind of goes into what filmmakers will make according to like almost like a trend and in some ways it could be good like i know we definitely see a lot more women on screen we see a lot more people of color on a lot screen, of knee-jerk so reaction mm-hmm. but it's it it's become really it's it, in a lot of ways a lot very superficial and actually not it, it's not as um it doesn't lead down mm, i see what you're saying people think it is like People it are like, yeah, goes back to that filmmaker that's on top. That yeah. filmmaker that's on top that went there for art is is the one that gets there. Yeah, and it's just it's I don't know. It's just it's kind of it's it's kind of it create, creates this like sort of hierarchy though, um, and it creates this sort of lack of honesty in the in in the industry. I know for me, um, I've had some not so great experiences trying to. I think talk more openly and more honestly in this business um, about like the sort of ego that kind of keeps everything from being able to move forward in 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 like deeper ways. Like it seems so much like things. You, have you're not. So- yeah. Can I? Uh, yeah. With the ego, you said in deeper ways. So you're you're probably alluding to not the way that the word is actually abused and explained, you know, like somebody is being bullish or something along that lines where more ego as a persona and the way that you perceive things and um, how you wear your quote unquote mask when you are interacting with people. Yeah. I say it that way because so many people don't understand what ego actually means and when when you're interacting with those kinds of people and you're dealing with nefarious activities or ulterior motives or anything like that, um, everybody's wearing a mask. Yeah. They're all wearing a mask. Even if it's their, I'm going to do great things mask. Yeah. Or, you know, I want to give the charity mask. It's still a form of obtaining some kind of reward for an action. It's just a matter of whether or not you're pursuing the right ones. I I guess what I would say is the importance, the importance that you put on what they're doing, acting or saying directly influences whether or not they continue to do it. I know that seems kind of counterintuitive, but if you put brain power into somebody else's nefarious mind and their intent you're only going to recognize it more and not be able to prevent it. Yeah. You have to kind of passively approach it because if you engage with it, you're only going to be butting heads. Yeah. And I honestly think that's, that is a massive, massive issue in this industry. Massive. It's a massive industry. It's a massive issue in the world. It is a massive issue in the world. Um, But I think there's a, that's a, why are we who we are scenario? Oh yeah. Well, all traumatized children. <laughs> Dude, yeah. That's uh, you know what? Honestly. Nail on the head. And and actually, um to to do justice to our topic um from earlier, we're all traumatized children. Um and you had indicated that your your therapy or the art therapy you said that you uh, felt that it was important for abuses against uh the more vulnerable being uh women, people with mental illness, and people of color. Um, that's, that's where the trauma starts. Um, what, what would you like people to understand about that and how can we help? Honestly, I think that I would like most people to understand, just to understand it, like literally, like, I think 
the beautiful thing, like I said earlier, is being able to be someone who is a screenwriter and an actor. It's literally my job. And I didn't necessarily, I wanted to do this for a while. And when I first started wanting to act, I was probably 18. That was not my thought process. My thought process was like, I like things like, I really want to like make a difference in the world, I guess. But also, um, I was, I couldn't like choose something that I wanted to do. So I wanted to have lots of different, I was like, what, what is the one place where I can like learn everything and do anything, be an adventurer, be a scientist, be a lawyer, acting. I can do, I, it was just, I, my brain was like, I'm thirsty. Let's drink a bunch of knowledge. And I think that people don't realize actors do that. And, um, like people think actors are not the brightest. And I'm like, literally we just take on topic after topic after topic and emotion after emotion after emotion all the time. So we have to be pre, we have to be bright enough to, to do that. Um, but I, I tried to explain that the other day to somebody about um, the fact that actors hold a very strong position with regard to the human experience for the simple fact that they've put more effort into being other people than they have into being themselves. So they have a broad understanding for the fact that we're kind of all acting. Yeah. And I mean, what's interesting actually is, um, you know, what's interesting is that I've actually personally grown most as an actor understanding other people as I've learned to understand myself. Interestingly, as I've learned to unpack more of myself and not compartmentalize and, and feel a little bit more and not disassociate from like, like what's really happening with me. Um, I feel like my acting, it was like day and night. <laughs> like, um, it's just gotten so much better. Um, and that's kind of the fun of like, like when you're an artist, your journey is never quite over. There's no like top of things. Like you can be like, yeah, it's it's, it's an unraveling. But like, yeah, we never. Would, would you say that um that you could liken it to say if I had like remember the old uh Ben Franklin bifocal things, um and it had like the there was like four or five of them and they were different colors and if each one of those were an issue in your life and as you rotated them up and you removed them you had a different perception of what was going on. Yeah, honestly, that's kind of like that's what it is and that's what it is every day of my individual life and that's what it is every time that I have to unpack a character or unpack a role or really approach or even like from the writing perspective the writing character writing is the most interesting thing in the world I think because like acting is all it's so much fun and it's really great to embody things but like the shit that comes out <laughs> when I write is <laughs> just like I'm like oh is that what I'm thinking is that what's happening <laughs> You brain. don't have to tell me because art across the board is hysterical. The first thing I did was just because I'm an idiot, I did an old school Adam Sandler-esque thing that was T-Rex dodgeball. And somebody said, they're like, and now a T-Rex throws a dodgeball at a kid at recess. And it's just that sound. And then it goes on. <laughs> there is no rhyme or reason to it. It doesn't have to be, I think. Some of the greatest art in the world has no rhyme or reason. Basketball is a great example. Have you ever watched that movie? <laughs> that movie is amazing. <laughs> the Lazy Boy? Come on. It, it, I don't know. There's certain movies out there that suck me in, and I don't even realize they're my favorites until someone says that. Like, you, when you said that, I was like, oh, shit, I do really like that. <laughs> like, yeah. that's funny. No, no one that movie was like super funny. But that movie was hilarious. Like, Basketball, What Had American Summer, two of my favorite, like, this makes no sense movies. Uh, some of my favorite scenes from anything ever are from those two movies. And you know what? It's because whoever made them did it with pure intent for laughter and bullshitting, and they were 100% authentic when they made it Honestly. they didn't give a shit yeah they didn't give a shit whether or not they were going to get paid yeah and you, you can really tell i think there's like like even just watching the act like you can tell it's always so much fun when you're watching a movie and you can tell that the people making the movie are having way too much fun moving it you're like y'all are very much enjoying this i can see it in your faces like one of you can't hold like you're barely keeping it together because you want to laugh or you want to smile i see it and it's so amazing that's why we love outtakes People love outtakes and uh, candid, any kind of candid recording of somebody doing something that they really enjoy 
or a kind of an outtake or anything like that. And I think it's the same thing because they're being a hundred percent authentic in that moment. They are super happy. And what they're expressing is uninhibited. We get drawn to it. And whenever you see outtakes, what's the first thing you do? That's a real laugh. You want to sit there. You can't help but laugh. Yeah. Even if it's the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah. You could be sawing somebody's arm off. And if they started, you know, just busting out laughing, like legitimately that, you know, where you're snorting and you're making weird sounds, the, the guy getting his arm sawed off will probably laugh. <laughs> it's so infectious. Yeah, I mean, so that guy, is, that poor guy is mental. I don't know why I went there, but you know, I I think because I, I, one of, I don't watch a whole lot of movies or TV anymore because I think exactly what you were saying. I feel like the human experience was being misrepresented and it no longer entertained me. Um, but one of the movies that stuck in my head was hostile and, um, uh, and that that whole environment down underground when the, they were interacting, some of the best best scenes I've ever seen. Oh yeah, honestly, I feel like whoever wrote that was oh, too authentic. Yeah, probably. I mean, have you seen anything like anything? Honestly, by Lars von Trier, feels like that. Um, but I am a huge horror fan, so I was like, yeah, I completely actually horror is one of my Same. favorite like genres to watch for. <laughs> what feels like a weird amount of authenticity from other people. I think that as human beings, we have a tendency to kind of like be weird about like sexuality or violence. I'm like, these are honestly very big parts of the human experience and human reality. Um, and I think we've distorted all sorts of things with regard to that. I, I honestly, um, if we're going to talk about trauma in, in women and uh, people of color and things like that, that's that's where it starts. It in, starts in the, the, the like the, yes, the experience, yeah. The the way that women are indebted to themselves with regard to their looks from the moment they're born. They have to be handed makeup in order to be acceptable. When they get on camera, they'll be I'm sorry, I did not make myself presentable and things like that. That's ridiculous you want to start traumatizing people early do that start there and then distort the male mind to think that they're supposed to be in that position yeah and if not then they're less of themselves oh yeah now go <laughs> i mean <I'm>, people <laughs> yeah it's and it, i think what's crazy too is that people don't realize just how violent that is like how violence be like mass manipulation mass gaslighting like how what the, the, the cognitive dissonance that like all of us on a regular basis are, are going through because we honestly don't we, it's i mean i think that our, our egos would shatter if we if we all fully accepted mm. um the reality of life it's like bits and pieces bit by bit you slowly get there because i mean your entire reality would feel like you would suddenly be like am i in the nature which pill did I think? Yeah, like, no, it would. Your so your head would explode if you took it all in at once. We take in, it's those it's those bifocals. It's we need those lenses at the same time. You can't rip off all of them at once. Otherwise, you're like running around like an X Men with you know rays flying out of your eyes. You have to do them one at a time, and you get that through looking through other people's eyes or unraveling your own trauma. And I, I think that that's probably why you see it twofold, right? It, it, you are, you're unraveling your own things as you experience them. And I think probably through the eyes of other people, when you write these characters or when you research them, you're, you're doing a dual unravel, you know, and, and that's probably where you're getting all this information and this insight. It's what makes good writers. Uh, yeah. I think that, Honestly, I, I'm a good. I think that I'm a good writer, and honestly, a good actor. Weirdly, because I'm an introvert, and like I'm just. I, I've, I spend I've seen so much your. Time. I've seen your reels. They're great. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um. Yeah, I'm slowly, slowly but surely trying to get. I guess better. I don't know. It's it's getting there. <laughs> slowly but surely getting there. It's it's amazing that um you say getting there, right? Yeah. 
as if it were a place that were that required work to become, right? Yeah. And I would argue that you're simply removing past issues in order to actually be exactly what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think it's been, for me, and I'm, I'm definitely very in, in the center of a lot of this journey right now. Like, um, but for me, I think it's definitely been a matter of almost not even quite removing, but almost integrating. Like I've learned so much about how many pieces of myself have been separated off and compartmentalized and set aside um, because of things like, like having a mental illness, uh, have, I was diagnosed with depression probably a good six years later than it should have been. But when I was about 17 years old, like got the official diagnosis, had dealt with that. Had dealt I, with I was like 20 years late. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think that like most people do not get the diagnosis when they need to get the diagnosis. Um, but like, I think no. if anyone was paying enough attention for that, then probably wouldn't have the mental illness. <laughs> there would have been intervention to begin with. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, most people don't, and especially with something so, I think, sort of insidious. And, and so many people have things like depression or anxiety. There are a lot of people that do have them or at least go through states of them. And so people don't, people can't separate out, um, like, like for the longest time, as much as I, I love the, I love the crap out of my mom and she is an amazing person. And when she, under, once she understood what was happening, she like was very like, okay, we're going to get this done and we're going to get this done. But like, she's a baby boomer. And she comes from a generation where they don't have a lot of language to describe some of the mental illnesses that do exist. And uh, that was a huge portion of like my childhood was being told like, no, you're just like being angsty. You're just a teenager. It's just hormones. It's and things like that. And just like the collective sort of <laughs> gas like that is that. But um, uh, no, uh, you you are you are very, very ahead of your of your time in recognizing that it's not their fault. And I can see the empathy in, in the way that you describe that. And I'm not saying that people aren't at fault for their actions and moments and things of that nature, but recognizing that that generation do not have the language or the capability to regurgitate what it is that they feel. And I would, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I also would would add to that that they don't have the experience of how the information is produced now, disseminated, and what is actually real and not real. And it is not their fault. We're we're choking we're we're, we're choking the wrong neck. We're we're going after the wrong the wrong people in that scenario because they're preying on ignorance, not mental illness in that particular situation, but ignorance at a high degree. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say something. So I didn't want to cut you off. Oh No, no. Um, I mean, honestly though, that's kind of the reality of it. And that's the problem that we, that's like, that's part of what makes it this sort of cyclical problem. It's also one of what is creating, I think such a big, I definitely have noticed it and like I feel like a lot of people have like that big sort of generational gap between what is now like the millennial and the generation Z generation and a little bit of generation X I feel like X is kind of like we don't, We're, don't we know. are all <laughs> over the place where we are there is we we do some amazing things and some really shitty things. Like there is a dividing line in there somewhere. Yeah, it's like you can't quite. It's like it's really. I, I mean, I'm you get iPhones and mass murder. What do you want? Honestly, which is honestly part of the reasons I love Generation X so much, but also part of the reasons of like it's hilarious. I think, literally, I mean, going back to TikTok, some of the best TikToks are like the ones that are like Generation X. Like this is how Generation X feels. This is how millennials feel. This is how Z feels. And Generation X, like, millennials and, and Z are like, we're all traumatized. Life is a shit show. And we're, like, just getting there. And X is like, we've already been there with a bottle of like, a vodka. Yeah. yeah we, we've... <laughs> the funny thing is, is X, X is in a real, X marks the spot for a change. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, that is that generation is the dividing line, and it's also the beginning of the first levels of a collective understanding and consciousness. I mean, it, it, it is as you know rickety as it is, the way that we're disseminating information at this very moment is the next step. 
but it's also the same people that had, you know, were latchkey kids and barely, you know, heard any kind of information outside of their, you know, four walls or their small town. So there's, there's a wildly, wildly vast amount of change in that generation just from end to end. I mean, Atari 2600 to iPhone. Come on. I mean, honestly, that's kind of, I mean, there's definitely, there's a lot of truth to the fact that like, I mean, if you really look at what's happening, Generation X was kind of born on the genesis of um, some of the newer waves of psychology, born on the genesis of the new like waves of technology. Young. Yeah. Like this is, this is, I mean, X really does start so much of it. Hey, academics. Have you endured life's tragedies, trials, and tribulations? Did you adapt and overcome? Do you have advice for others to pay forward and want to be a guest? Then email us a brief two to three minute video to show at thetragedyacademy.com and tell us how our academics can learn and grow from these experiences. Thanks again for your support. And now back to class. Getting back to trauma and the understanding and the empathy that, that, that we're talking about from all these different situations. Um, what is it that we see happening to these vulnerable sects with regard to the, um, the violence that you were talking about? Oh, um, so I think that, uh, first and foremost, I would say that as much as I do firmly believe that like women, people of color and, um, with mental illness are at a higher vulnerability. I think the reality is we are all part of this, like a, a very vulnerable, like we're all just in a very vulnerable situation for a lot of the reasons we just discussed, including, um, lack of language around trauma and and parenting around trauma and and then getting into when you are someone who's part of a like like as you call it like disenfranchised group um the the systemic trauma and essentially i think the the violence that we focus on which often is physical violence sexual violence financial violence um those violences are the last violences the first violences tend to be psychological and emotional and people don't quantify like like that like they don't quantify emotional battery emotional violence as violence as human beings and that's that's part of the biggest issue that we have is that i mean emotional violence is everywhere core wounds it, um, core wounds it's core wounds and it is literally everywhere it's indoctrinated into our daily activity i mean just going to watch an ad on tv is emotional manipulation right there the entire concept of systemic racism is all built on one massive sort of gaslight and lie about like what people are, what the differences are. I mean, literally, race is literally <laughs> race is literally a construct, um, and it has it, it has traceable roots that don't go beyond like five hundred years. So, like, I mean, uh, yeah, it's it it's beyond me. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Um, you know, I understand I grew up in, in the, uh, disenfranchised and, uh, mentally manipulated area of the South, whereas they, the, the finger is pointed the wrong direction from both sides. Instead of pointing up, they're pointing across. And not looking at it from a socioeconomic standpoint with a foot on both necks. Yeah. Instead, they're they're simply taking it out on each other and placing the importance there. Never gonna work. Yeah. I mean, and but that's that's how the system is constructed, basically, right? Like, um, we're pretty much everybody. Like it's it, uh, other than what we may call the powers that be, um, the system is constructed so that it's just crabs in a barrel. Everyone's trying to climb over top of each other, unaware of the fact that like they're all in a barrel. <laughs> and the problem is that, and the problem is that I, I love that today. crabs in a barrel. Did you come up with that? No, that's a saying. That's a, like a famous saying. Have is it really? Yeah. I've never heard crabs in a barrel in my life. Really? Oh, that's something I grew up. Maybe it's maybe it's the East Coast. It sounds probably. like a really, really funny game that you'd play with your buddy, telling him they had like Bob for apples. Oh, definitely don't put your head in a barrel of crabs. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's it's probably it was one that I grew up. It's like definitely a saying I grew up hearing, and it's and it's it's 
I mean, it's no, it's a perfect description. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's amazing to watch. It's it's amazing to watch crabs in a barrel. It's kind of the most tragic, sad. But I mean, really, that is what it is. It's everyone trying to climb over top of each other, trying to get out of the barrel. But then we've all essentially just been put in because by, by the but people that are trying. To- <laughs> the, the irony is, there's no barrel. There's yeah. no barrel. There isn't. That's but, that's the thing. We're chasing our own tail. Well, that's like the giant sort of like the, the collective gaslight that, you know, really does exist. And that's the violence that's begetting all the other violence. And it really is just like, um, and it's so much of it really is just construct. Like so much of what we think is, is gender expression is a construct. And so much of what we think is racial expression is a construct. And it's, it's really like at the end of the day, it's so fascinating to see the amount of hierarchy we've created based on just microscopic things when we are all literally humans. Like I was thinking the other day about the concept. I think I think I think about this daily, but like the concept of like, um, like so honestly, I I firmly believe that we do live in a very patriarchal society. I don't necessarily think it benefits men as much as men think it benefits men, but I do believe that our <laughs> that's that that could be summed up in all of the stomach cancer cases across the world. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Every single issue that men have is they do not understand that it's directly linked to the fact that they're oppressing somebody else. They're oppressing somebody. And I feel like there's so much opp- men are oppressing themselves. I'm like, I feel like how painful exactly. is it that you can't cry in front of someone, that you can't feel fear, like little things that men are taught that they're not allowed to do that make them so very, very human. But it's it's because there's they have to build that wall around this idea that the feminine is negative when really we all have both sides inside of us we all are fem- a little feminine oh yeah all yin and yang men, masculine and we, we need both sides they complement each other but the fact that men are taught to kind of that in order to oppress the female class men have to then believe there's something wrong with it like they have to justify that and in order to justify that, they have to say, oh, these things are wrong, which means that they have to then cut all of those things off within themselves. And so men are stuck not being allowed to be whole human beings. And that, I mean, have you that? Like, how does it feel to not be able to be yourself? It's fucking frustrating. And, and, and it and just, it makes you into a bully because you're like, and, and you begin to envy the parts of yourself that you can't be. So you start bullying people that have those parts. And, and that's spot on. I, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I could. This is this is exactly. We're mirrors, and we don't get it. Just like the feminine and the masculine, everything that we hate, we are suppressing. Yeah, it's because of the fact that we're looking or jockeying against our mind. The mind gets in the way because it's been, just like you said, it's a construct. It's layers of experiences over time that have not needed to ever exist to begin with. They didn't, everything that we're doing, it's kind of a, it's kind of a film if you think about it, because there's really no reason to do it to begin with, right? But you get a lot of time when you're afraid to talk about death or why you're here. You come up with a lot of other things to do with your time. And then it, but that's, that's a whole nother branch, right? But the, the, the ability to look at somebody else and oppress them, you know, because of the fact that you were taught that they were deficient, you know, you looked at, let's say the, the man and woman um, scenario, I believe that when we're taught those things, you know, women are, you know, lesser than or weaker than and subservient or whatever ridiculous construct that is out there. I believe that when we exercise those positions ourselves, that it creates the animosity within ourselves that is the anger and all of those feelings are because Deep down, we know what we're doing is counterintuitive being symbiotic with the people that we're supposed to be with. It's it's all just an internal battle back and forth that never needed to exist. That's been handed to us genetically and hereditarily over time. Yeah. Yeah. And then and genetically, it's 
very key, I think people, people are starting to talk about it more now, but just like the epigenetics behind, like how we are storing uh, trauma and information in ourselves and just how like, it's like something that I, I definitely, I mean, I'm, uh, I've been reading uh, the book White Fragility um, by Robin D'Angelo. I don't know that one, but I will definitely read it. It is a great book if for no other, I mean, it's, it's a great book when it comes to race relationships. It's a white woman writing to other, she kind of like frames it as like liberal white people. Like, so obviously not like the, like not necessarily, I guess not liberal white people, but like white people who are trying to unpack whiteness basically. Like, so obviously not the person who's like wearing a hood. Understood. Somebody, somebody who is starting to unravel the experiences in the construct. Yeah. And it's almost like an instruction book. Yeah. It's just kind of, it's, and it's, it's talking a little bit about like, even just, like, yeah, which is where this, like, where to look at the more microaggressive privilege-based issues. But what's also really cool about the book is, like, I mean, it's not necessarily written for me. I'm not the audience. But uh, what I really have enjoyed uh, about reading the book is just the sociological standpoint. Because um, she uses other examples that aren't race to kind of illustrate things. Like, she uses um, feminism and, like, sexual relations. She uses LGBT plus uh and, you know, heteronormative, you know, uh, straight relations to kind of illustrate some of these points, but because realistically it kind of exists across all of this. But the point being that, as I've meandered through this, the point being that um, she really just kind of talks about, like, how inundated we are with a lot of what we've been taught and how much it affects our lives in a very pervasive way, and that the journey toward becoming better and unpacking your privilege, whether I, I personally see whether it's white privilege or whether it's as a, I'm a cisgender straight woman. So that gives me certain privileges, like the, all those privileges, those exist for you at all points in time. And whether you want to acknowledge them within yourself or not, they do still exist for the class that's being oppressed by them. And um, really understanding that every day, if you are not that oppressed class is a daily issue in trying to understand where you even small ways are oppressing that class because it is so ingrained in our society and i'm so sorry but my computer is dying because it hates me so i'm going to, it was 100 percent charged so i'm gonna plug it in really fast but i can still hear yeah no go right ahead right on it's an old computer and by old i mean it's like five years old which of course in the land of computers is ancient um <laughs> So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, that's really, like, that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. Like, I know that I've experienced it. And I know that I've been, like, on, on the receiving end of it, like, that immediate sense that, like, I should get defensive about, like, I'm not, you know, I'm, you know, like, I have friends who are part of the LGBT plus community. And, like, there are times I have to check myself and be like, listen, yeah, like, I, like, in that moment, I saw myself as like, oh, well, I, 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 and, you know, I'm not against the LGBT plus community, but like when a friend is like, hey, that was a microaggression, I gotta be like, okay, pull back, okay, I don't understand it. Explain to me why it was a microaggression. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Like I will make sure I have to do that again because at the end of the day it doesn't matter how I feel about it. It matters how that person feels about it and how that feels like they're how it feels like they're um really how it feels like what I say or what I do or a certain perspective that's been kind of like trained into me is negatively affecting the reality of, of who they are as dimensional human beings. So, um, but people don't always get I, that. I, um, around it. Yeah. I had a experience. I talked about it on the show a couple of times um, where I under, I came to understand later in life that that experience revealed to me the construct of how we interpret things um, on the outside. And it was, I had a friend that, um, stupid situation ran into my, uh, my barracks room and, um, he was laughing and he had his hand over his mouth. And, uh, he said that, um, you know, that my buddy threw him a remote control and broke his front tooth. And I was like, what, you know? And I was like, he pulled his hand down and, um, his front tooth was broken in half. And it, in that moment, two different scenarios happened to me. One, he looked like a hillbilly idiot, you know, whatever the, the constructed mind was supposed to accept. 
But at the same time, it, it hit me in the side of the head and I didn't like it. I didn't like that my mind thought that because he was none of those things. He was not a yokel or whatever that might be. He wasn't unintelligent. He wasn't, you know, simple minded or any of those, you know, backwoods or whatever thing we associate with a broken front tooth. None of those items exist. But my brain was doing a really it was working overtime to make me take that interpretation. Yeah. And that to me was a defining moment later. I figured that out because it always bothered me. And once I figured out that through meditation, it just kind of dawned on me. And I was like, holy, sh-. that's why it bothered me because everything that we believe is based on what our predecessors gave us and nothing more, nothing more in the slightest. And yeah, go ahead. No, I, I was like, yeah, it's very true. And it's it's actually really interesting. And this is where I think, for me, art becomes a really great facilitator in this. So I remember uh, when I was back in college and I was doing theater, one of the things that we learned about is Commedia dell'arte, which is basically like old school mind blowing. Um, it's like back before there were like, white mimes like the 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 solid black and white mime doing like the rope and all that kind of stuff older than that we're talking like this was like back when like kind of the dawn of miming and clowning started to become a thing media del arte was gestures kind of but it was designed to be okay so media del arte is kind of what snl is but like really like um and when, it's SNL 1.0. Yeah, it's like SNL. It really is. And it, the whole premise is people in Camino del Arte have certain costuming. So like you actors all get dressed up. But like they might be like, they will. All, they all have very specific masks that they wear depending on what character in Camino del Arte they are. So like there's like a Zani, which is a character in Camino del Arte, which is like usually they have like a mask with a long sort of nose or a long hooked nose, which comes from some very anti-Semitic places um essentially in in their origins I'm, like, I'm tracking yeah um but the thought process is they would do like they would have these long noses they would often walk very silly very monkey-like and they were the they were kind of like the comedic they were like the gestures of the group and then there would always be like a character who would be like the villain and the villain often was like tall and thin and lanky and had the long fingers and, and the just, twisty mustache guy that he evolved into in like the the 20s or, you know the guy that's tying people to the train tracks yeah i mean i mean and it's, and still today like i mean watch a watch any cruella de vil movie what is she she's tall she's that's thin, a great she's point like long fingers um they these so but like these archetypes are created a long time ago in in like the artistic world and they shaped so much of how we see things so like there would always be one character who like their mask would be like big chubby cheeks and they'd usually the person would be like in a fat suit and they would be the chubby person and they'd usually be the lazy one. How frequently do we view people who are uh, overweight as being like lazy? I mean, like it's, it's really fascinating to watch and it's, but, but these are the archetypes that we've kind of trained in to each other. And if you really look at some of the origins of like how art was created and how theater has been created and how, so, like, I mean, it's been very, very specifically used to um, communicate overtly and covertly a lot of messages to people. Um, and I think that more than more than politics and more than religion, I think that art has this beautiful opportunity to undo what it's been misused to do, um, which is be honest about what things are. We have, a, and I think film is, a, is honestly a really great medium for it because Film is probably one of the most honest sort of um, like human to human mediums in a lot of ways because you it's not a big show like theater is and and it's not art where it's a, a two dimensional piece that you can find many dimensions in but it's still kind of a two dimensional piece like you actually when you're in film you get to be a person talking about something that you're thinking feeling in a very specific situation that creates all of these really emotional like all of these high emotional stakes and they get to like the camera gets to get close to you 
and really see how you're feeling, even when you can't say how you're feeling or or cry. But your the camera can get close to the eyes in a way that like a lot of art hasn't been able to um, over over the, the thousands upon thousands of years that art has existed. So, um, yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I do think that uh, art has been misused. Um, and art we've based on, you know, the things that we said in the first half of the show, art is, is what it is. It is the most powerful tool out there because it is creative expression and it comes from such a raw place. Um, I, I have hope. I think that the global existential crisis forced people into a situation where they got to pursue their art outside of the means that they were getting it before, um, which is by, by, you know, the almighty dollar. Um, but necessity is the mother of all invention. So there's more green screens draped across the world right now than there are <laughs> anything else <laughs> because in, in homes, um, all across the, all across the world, because everybody needed to still create their art. Um, they needed to, they needed to put it out there. And I think that because art, I think it was needed. I think it's part of evolution. Um, I think we needed art to get us through a certain amount of time, i.e. industrial revolution, science, math, things like that. I think it facilitated a lot of, a lot of what we've got now. Um, without it, we, without art, none of the things that have come downstream from that uh, exist. But we've come to a point now where we're aware that it was a tool and that we need to wield it in a different manner. We need to take art now and use it to put the brakes on everything and reevaluate what it is to be a human. Um, I, I think this is destined to happen. I mean, yeah, I think that's art at its core. And I speak of it as almost as if it's its own living, breathing thing, because I think in a lot of ways it has kind of done that. Um, Can't not be. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it at its core has always been, I think in its own way, has always kind of been doing its job, but we've definitely co-opted to do certain things like some of the earliest sort of evangelism, as it were, for a lot of the church was artistic. Um, uh, but I mean, art has always existed there to do exactly what it, I think it has done, which is connect us all. Like the world wouldn't be as connected as it is today. If it weren't for art, I mean, literally some of the earliest art is like, uh, like hieroglyphics, pictures, tables, and like, you know, art has always existed, uh, for us to connect to one another and tell stories and communicate. And it has always done that. And it always will do that. Um, we have to start making, yeah, just smarter decisions about what we wanted to say. I think once upon a time when the world was a lot simpler, it said what we needed to say. It said the story of what we had done that day. It said the story of, uh, a tribe or a person or a hunt or a situation, you know, it, it's, it's, it told those stories. Um, and then the smarter we got, the more we realized how powerful it was to like leave behind stories. And so it then became this sort of business of leaving behind stories. And it did become sort of a, an outlet for the ego, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but how that outlet's being aimed has been not always. Not always I fun. think, um, I'd like to, to, to add to that. I think that, um, it's, it's veiled the fact that we're actually afraid of death and we started creating, um, immortality, so to speak, because your first rung is God, you know, there's somebody else that's going to keep me around because I know that I exist, which is really shitty because that means I know I'm going to die. So I can't figure out God. So what's next? I start acting out things and create my new immortality, which is a legacy. It's like children. It's whatever I build. It's whatever I write. It's whatever those things are. It's just another reach or grab at immortality. Some kind of legacy. And I think when we don't do it for the right reasons, it shows when it's art, it's funny. I feel like when someone is doing something that they don't necessarily feel the way they do about it, it tends to look like an angry piece of art if they don't agree with it. 
and then vice versa. Like you, you see that it, it, it just, if you love what you're doing, you know, then it'll be a different piece. I think it evokes whatever you're fighting against. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I think very much that's very true. I think, I think that's because as much as people don't fully understand it, um, art is really, it's not really, even though we share it with each other, it's like not really for anybody else. Like art is, is kind of for ourselves. Like it's like, we're unpacking bits and pieces of ourselves, whether we are conscious of it or not. That's usually what's happening in art. Um, and it's just like anything, right? Like when you hit a wall with what your your ego is kind of willing to accept, like we see this with like people who have like narcissistic personalities, you know, like, like, like something will approach their wall and their wall doesn't want to accept it. And so they can get really explosive and defensive, even if you don't have a narcissist, like just a narcissistic moment in a person. You can just see, um, like where, like where, like the, like it just doesn't want to go through. <laughs> and there's like usually really high emotional response around that. Um, it's like, like that, that, that it's if it's hysterical, it's historical. Sort of like you just, um, like you just you see a hard, like you, your ego is like trying to protect you, so you see that hard stop. Um, and with art, it kind of. Like you will still see that same thing. So you'll start to see those really high, over the top, intense emotions happen for an artist who is not fully comfortable with the art that they're making or the piece of themselves that they're unpacking. I was actually talking about this last night in my in my acting class because a teacher was explaining to me about giving an improv. Like we he gave me in uh, one of my other classes an improv to do, and we had to. It was a very difficult improv, but he had given this improv like probably 30 years ago to someone and in the in the improv one of the characters reveals that she's transgender um to another character it's, it is a very complex situation but one of the characters reveals that she's transgender to another character and because it is an improv the other character doesn't know this like the other actor didn't know that this was going to be part of the reveal um and he's like i once had to kick an actor out of class because his response was so angry like I was afraid he was. I had to stop the improv because I was afraid he was going to hurt the young lady who was playing the transgender character. And um, yeah, and but like that's what it is, and that you'll see hard stops like that when it comes to. I, I uh, can can there be a more classic example of what someone is struggling with in their own mind to be able to scream it that loud and have a meltdown right in its face when you know it's it, not real it, it, but exactly real. it doesn't matter though when presented with what we are struggling not to be the most it elicits that reaction because we don't want to admit it we can't accept it, and it's not even our fault. It's because we were told we couldn't do it to begin with, yeah. no matter what the experience. Yeah, yeah. and like that's it, yeah. sorry, that person probably has problems with their their internal gender preference or some kind of uh, you know, I I I can't I can't even put myself in the shoes, but whatever that situation might be then I'm certain they're going through it. Yeah. Let's put it that way. I don't like to assume that I know anything on behalf of anybody else. But there, yeah, but there's definitely some sort of, for whatever reason, that hit a chord, um, that hit a really deep chord. And <laughs> it didn't just hit it. It like dropped like a manhole <laughs> like, cover on it or something. <laughs> yeah. I, was like, I mean, dude, you know, it's not real, right? Like you understand what's happening, but that's, I mean, but that's what that, happens. In- that guy, that guy was, he, he, I hope that, that he got to the right therapist that told him it's okay to be who you are under any circumstances. Hopefully, but I think this is, he was telling me the story was back in the eighties. So we don't, who knows, who knows whether or not Ooh, that. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that, that might, around. that might've been up with the uh, most recent issue we've had. <laughs> Might have been, might be a member of that group. Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> right? You know what? We've been on for an hour and I could really keep going. Um, and I, I honestly, I think that um, I've learned a lot today from you. Um, and I think everybody that 
listens to this is going to um, is going to really take away a lot of sage advice. And um, I want to thank you for taking the time out to provide it all of it, you know, to us. Um, it's with regard to the art and the trauma and, um, you know, how we can address it for um, all of these different groups. Um, I think that if I could, if I could wrap it up, I would say that, um, that we need to change the direction in which we utilize art so that it benefits those people that are transitioning or going through a traumatic event. Um, and I think that's across the board. Um, even more so for those that are in the most vulnerable situations today, not to, it's, it's kind of like triaging medical, you know, you're not going to take a heart attack after a broken finger. You're going to flip them around right now. This is the worst situation. So we focus on that and that means focusing creative mind. Um, and I think if, you know, with people like yourselves making films and, um, portraying, what it is and who it is that we are, what this human experience, uh, I think that, that you carry a very, very, very heavy burden. If you truly believe in it like yourself, um, because to be able to write, I, I feel like we've been writing where we go the entire time we've been playing this game that is being a human. Those pe first people that wrote it wrote the next chapter. Each one writes the next chapter. Why do you think our technology keeps landing in the next chapter? <laughs> we're, we're, we're playing make-believe and then we're creating or manifesting that make-believe over and over again. But now we have the ability to steer because we're aware that it's actually happening. And um, I think that if we're going to use our creative minds and our art, um, that's, that couldn't be a better place to start. Um, so thank you. I, I genuinely appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. And I really appreciated hearing what you have with how you feel about it. And yeah, you asked such amazing questions that it's like, oh, it's pressing me. <laughs> it's pressing me for those. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I, I mean, ready to get to see today, but okay. <laughs> No, you know that you can ask questions when someone has an open mind um, and, and you present yourself um, in a very open manner. And and I like that. It's a vulnerable state to be in to talk about these things. And I can appreciate, um, you know, that, that you're here doing that because um, it, it does. Not all people are writers. Not all people are actors. Not all people are able to put themselves in the situations of our feet of other people. So it, the onus is on us or those of us that have been through, um, you know, trauma and have come to the realization that, uh, that, that it is a choice to remain in it or to remain a victim that we have to utilize that, that, that knowledge wisely and, and push it forward. And, um, I'm looking forward to, uh, your, your films because I know that they're going to be super, super detailed and they're going to really explore the human experience. <laughs> All right. So again, thank you. And remember academics, be cool and keep learning. Hey academics. Thanks again for attending another class at the tragedy Academy. You can show us some love by subscribing, downloading and rating us five stars on Apple podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher or ask Amazon Alexa to play the tragedy Academy podcast. You can find links to all major podcast platforms and past episodes at the tragedy You can find us on all the majors of social media on Instagram at the tragedy Academy, 2019 on TikTok at the tragedy Academy and on Twitter at tragedy underscore Academy, where we'll post our clips of upcoming shows, updated info and thoughts. If you'd like to be a guest, send an email to show at the tragedy Keep an eye out on Instagram for tragedy Academy giveaways. Thanks again for coming to class and remember be cool. Keep learning. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. 
And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items. Things like the fly was over four inches to the left, or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey, you'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM, a team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, they've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their graphic tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations require a never-ending commitment. The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents, and Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care. They have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink, they don't fade, and they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles, and the art is nothing short of spectacular, with designs for everyone. One of my personal favorites, Twilight Maiden. Go take a look. Into the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30-day money-back guarantee, lightning-fast shipping, and hassle-free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes. Get over there. Check it out. I'm highlighting the tees. But I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, hit up into the end. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to the tragedyacademy.com, go to our sponsors tab, and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel and the best designs ever. And remember, academics, be cool and keep learning.